This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Off the top in this hour, though, a look at where things are headed in Canada as it pertains to smoking rates. Smoking rates are at historic lows. Uh, and I think we've done a lot to discourage people from smoking. Obviously, that comes through taxation, bans on advertising, bans on smoking in public places. It's been a real concerted effort to convince people to quit smoking. And it's been successful. A lot fewer people smoke today than 20 or 30 years ago. Some people still do smoke, and maybe it's always going to be the case that we have some smokers in society. Uh, There was a summit uh, held over the weekend at Queen's University, the Tobacco Endgame Summit, with a goal of getting commercial tobacco use in Canada to under 5% by the year 2035. Is that realistic, and how do we get there? Joining us uh, on the line is uh, Chris Simpson, uh, Chief of Cardiology at Queen's University, one of the uh, main players in the Tobacco Endgame Summit this past weekend. Um, Professor Simpson, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Rob. All right, well, what, what are our smoking rates at approximately in Canada today? Well, they, they vary a lot depending on where you are. Certainly um, nationally, we're looking at something like 17-ish percent. Okay. Um, but in indigenous populations, it's much higher. Um, in southeastern Ontario, where I am, it's still above 20 percent. Uh, in the Maritimes, it's uh, north of the national average. Um, so the, the smoking rates tend to sort of parallel the social determinants of health, you know, where, where people are uh, more advantaged. Um, if you think of Vancouver or uh, places that are particularly progressive that way, the smoking rates are low. But there are still pockets of really high rates, and, and the national rate is still way too high. Well, how, well, how do we explain the, those, those pockets, as you say, where, where smoking rates are higher? What, what's, why haven't our policy approaches that have worked in some parts of the country not worked in others? Well, I think it really depends a lot on the, uh, the underlying social and economic circumstances in, in which people live. Um, if you were to uh, uh, you know, get on a bike in downtown Vancouver... Uh, or even Toronto, and, and drive around. Um, you see, um, uh, you know, people who are uh, uh, more likely to be fit um, and uh, paying attention to these kinds of lifestyle uh, sorts of issues um, than if you go to a place that is more socioeconomically disadvantaged. So rural Canada, uh, the Maritimes, uh, and so on. So there's there's a lot of those factors uh, that that are in play. But the, the thing that has really concerned us is that um, we, we seem to have sort of taken our foot off the gas on, on smoking uh, over the last couple of years. Um, there was a lot of, you know, really disruptive behavior that generated a lot of controversy. I mean, remember when they were talking about um, getting rid of smoking in restaurants and so on, all of the outcry that there was, and now it's just kind of the norm. You'd, you'd think it was really funny and uh, odd to see somebody smoking in a restaurant now. Um, but we've got these rates stuck at 17% across the country. We think it needs to come down to under 5 And so we're trying to create that burning platform um, and, and figure out what are the levers that we need to exercise to, to start the downward trend again and, and uh, just not accept that, that nearly 1 in 5 Canadians still smoke. Okay. Well, one thing, and, and you can explain this because it seems counterintuitive. Obviously, taxation is a tool we still have, and we could always be looking at, at the tax rates that apply to tobacco, but... Given what we already put in place, it would seem that lower-income Canadians would be most responsive to that because they're most affected by higher tobacco taxes. So why doesn't, don't we see more of a payoff then from that policy amongst lower-income Canadians? Yeah, there's, there's, there's no question really that if you make cigarettes more expensive 
uh, through taxation, that that, that is effective in, in getting the uh, the rates down. And I think that's one of the uh, one of the levers that uh, governments have to try to get these down. There are concerns that that would then accelerate the contraband uh, industry, and there's a lot of debate back and forth about how to do this in a way that doesn't, uh, uh, you know, encourage uh, an illegal trade. Um, but uh, you know, o- overall, I think that's that's one of the big uh, tools that we have in the toolbox uh, to try to get the rate down lower is is higher taxes. But you think that would be effective? Where up until this point, it just seems odd to me. If we're talking about the you know really low income Canadians, those who are are quite poor, to suggest that the tobacco taxes we have now aren't discouraging them, but slightly higher tobacco taxes would. Yeah, the the evidence uh, uh, from the experts is is that uh, you know taxation has been fairly effective, and uh, driving it even higher, we know from some other uh, political jurisdictions, uh, has has been effective. Uh, the counter argument to that is that we don't want to take people uh, who, you know, don't have a whole lot of means for, uh, you know, paying for the other necessities or for for the necessities in life, uh, to uh, be out of pocket because they would sacrifice uh, more important things uh, for for uh, paying for cigarettes. But the evidence seems to be in the other direction that um, at least to to a certain degree, raising taxes even further may be one of the most effective things we could do. I'm also curious um, about e-cigarettes, which we've been talking a lot about lately, and uh, the federal government recently announcing that they're going to come in with some some regulation around e-cigarettes to, in part, recognize the potential harm reduction benefits that that uh, they they bring. So, was this part of the conversation uh, at the uh, at the summit? Yeah, it sure was, and and you know, it's um, it's a, a real mixed bag because on the one hand. We know that the tobacco companies are investing heavily in electronic cigarettes, and so right away we need to be very suspicious <laughs> that uh, that something's up. And when they have uh, flavored electronic cigarettes that just happen to have the same name and flavor as the flavored tobacco, uh, the worry is that um, that electronic cigarettes become a uh, a gateway drug. You know, you you market it to young people as a glamorous and uh, quote unquote safer option. And then they graduate um, to the um, to the uh, to the tobacco. Um, but on the other hand, I think we have to acknowledge, as a health community, that there's no question that uh, if you want to consume tobacco, consuming it with an e-cigarette is is safer. Well, okay, but than, there's there's uh, no tobacco in an e-cigarette, though. That's right. right. Uh, so I'm so sorry. We shouldn't yeah, if you suggest want to that there nicotine, is nicotine. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, then it's going to be safer to get it from an e-cigarette than from um, than from uh, you know than igniting something on fire and inhaling the smoke into your lungs. So it, it's the smoke um, that is the the bad thing from a, a public health perspective, uh, not so much the nicotine. So I, I think uh, you know one of the of the course uh, corrections on on the conversation has to be. Uh, an acknowledgement that there may well be a role for e-cigarettes um, in smoking cessation, um, and uh, that's uh, that's a, a conversation that's still evolving. Uh, but beyond that, uh, um, there there is uh, there are pharmaceutical aids available. There there are different tools people have at their disposal to quit smoking. And do, do you see an increasing role for a, a pharmaceutical response to helping people quit smoking? Oh, there's there's no question that some of the uh, pharmaceutical um, aids that we have, nicotine replacement therapy uh, and others, um, have been shown to be very effective. And uh, there's uh, you know one of many uh, successful smoking cessation models is the Ottawa model, 
um, where it's been clearly demonstrated that if you uh, simply intervene with very simple tactics uh, for people who are admitted to hospital, uh, you can greatly, greatly increase uh, the chances that they'll be smoke-free at six months. And uh, it's been associated with uh, reduced mortality, reduced uh, spending. Uh, so as a cost-effective therapy, it is uh, one of the most, um, you know, one of the best investments you could possibly make. Yet even in hospitals who've implemented this, um, you know, they're, they're not getting 100% penetration. So doing the things that we already know work uh, is a key part of the strategy. In terms of why um, I, as a non-smoker, should, should still have a vested interest in, in getting to this point, because uh, I don't smoke, I don't have to worry about being around smoke when I'm out at restaurants or on airplanes or anything along those lines, so that if consenting adults still wish to use tobacco and are doing so in a way that doesn't impact me, why do I have an interest in right. pursuing this goal? It's a great question, and you know, one of the things that keeps coming up is that, uh, is that smokers do want to quit. Um, they, they don't need lectures, and they don't need more information. They, they need help. And the reason why it should matter to you and me as non-smokers is because um, smoking-related illness is still a, a major consumer of public health dollars. And so as we start to grapple with um, provincial health care budgets that are approaching 50% of all spending, uh, a big chunk of these on uh, being on cancer and heart disease and other smoking-related uh, diseases, um, that's taking away from, from other priorities. So from, a, uh, from just a simple uh, economics point of view, uh, it's in everybody's best interest to prevent diseases that are very costly to treat. Um, both in economic terms and in human terms. Right. Well, you know, it's also true, I mean, that, that um, th those are fatal diseases. I've, I've seen some research suggesting that because smokers tend to die so much younger than non-smokers, there, there's actually less costs involved in, in, in those later years. Yeah, the, uh, the, the old uh, adage that, you know, you've got to die of something, and, uh, you know, what's it going to cost in the final years of your life? The, these are legitimate questions, and, and I don't know that we have all of the answers to those. Um, but in general, you know, we have an aging society, and I think our goal has to be overall um, that we want to help people age well. And so, um, you know, I'd, I'd much rather die at age uh, 90 following uh, one year of, uh, of some progressive disease versus dying at age 65 uh, from a heart attack because I smoked. Right. Um, and then we can sort out the cost and figure out how to do that as best we can. But I think... Um, the, the notion that, um, you know, tax dollars from, from cigarettes, um, you know, pays for the, this premature illness uh, and death, uh, I think is, is um, uh, a, a bit of a perverse economic argument, and, and I'm not entirely convinced that that pans out. I don't think we want a society of people who die prematurely, uh, even if it's cheaper. Right. Um, and and did the idea, has the idea come up of just going full-on banning tobacco altogether? And would, well, would that it, work? Yeah, it, it sounds radical, and uh, it, it'll raise a lot of hackles. But um, Elizabeth Eisenhower, who is the head of our uh, cancer program in Kingston, who is just a powerhouse of, uh, of intellect and, and energy, um, came to me a couple of years ago and said, listen, uh, you had cardiology, I had cancer. Um, I'm totally frustrated with a number of people who are, who are still smoking. Surely we can come up with some sort of national strategy to... Um, to keep driving these rates lower. I mean, people were very evangelical about it 20 years ago. We got smoking rates down from 30 to 17. Why can't we get it to 5%? What's stopping us? And I was very intrigued by this. And uh, 
So she, she went ahead and led this effort to assemble these national and international experts in politics and economics and, and uh, tobacco control and all these very smart people. And we said, well, we can just get them all in a room and have a chat for a couple of days. And then if we can bring in other organizations like the CMA and the Heart and Stroke Foundation and the Canadian Cancer Society, uh, maybe we can assemble a coalition of the willing to really figure out how to thoughtfully uh, do this over the next 20 years. And so yeah, she brought it all together, uh, much to her credit, and uh, it was a very successful uh, two-day conference. All right. Well, going forward then, if the goal is to get to 5% by 2035, I believe you said, so where, where do we need to start? Well, yes, yeah, the tagline is less than 5 by 35, so it's, it's got a great ring to it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think where we start is um, with an assessment of, of where we currently are and the successes that we've had. Um, and we need to have a, an evidence-based approach to where we're going next. And uh, there's no question it's a very ambitious goal. Um, but other countries uh, have tobacco in-game strategies where they're aiming for similar things over similar periods of time. So I don't think we're completely out of, um, you know, out of our minds to try to, uh, you know, aspire to this. Um, but it, it's going to take a number of different things, from from tax policy to cultural change. Uh, you know, the, the role of organized medicine I think will be very important. Well, what kind of skin are we willing to be uh, putting in the game? Um, what what's the regulatory environment? What is the role of e-cigarettes? Um, all of these things are um, are being worked up now in in our white paper. Um, and uh, we will lay out these recommendations uh, probably over the next couple of weeks. And then what we want to do is, it, rather than just having this be a report that sits on a shelf, you know, like every other uh, um, big uh, idea effort like this, we're creating what we're calling an endgame cabinet of organizations with some heft, like the Canadian Medical Association, like the Canadian Cardiovascular Society, Heart and Stroke Foundation, the cancer folks, and uh, we want to really take this forward and, and work in partnership with Health Canada to exercise all these levers and gradually chip away at, uh, at those numbers. All right. Well, it's certainly an important topic, Dr. Simpson. Thanks for making some time for us here today. Appreciate it. I appreciate your interest. Thank you. Thanks again. Chris Simpson, uh, Chief of Cardiology, Queen's University, one of the organizers of the Tobacco Endgame Summit, uh, occurred over the weekend at Queen's University. Uh, let's take a break here. We'll come back. We'll have some time for your calls, your reaction. We heard from uh, Dr. Simpson and the goal of... 5% by 2035, getting smoking rates down considerably, even though they're at historic lows already. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.